Welcome to the Richard Roper Show. I am Richard Roper, and I want to start off by thanking everybody who's been listening to the Screen Time podcast for the last couple of years. You're in the right spot. Never fret, never fear. Uh, we're just moving to a different phase. As you folks know, I've been doing the podcast the last couple of years with Ro Khan, who was my longtime radio partner in Chicago on a bunch of different stations. And in, in recent months, uh, Ro has kind of made a transition in his career and is uh, working full-time in law enforcement. You can Google Rokan and law enforcement and find out everything he's up to. Uh, so he really doesn't have the time anymore or uh, really the inclination to continue to do a, a podcast that's about pop culture. Uh, so while we remain the best of friends, we both decided that it just didn't make any sense. I mean, the truth is, even though this podcast is a lot of fun and obviously unscripted, as you can tell by this introduction, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of shows and movies we have to screen and research we have to do, and, and Rose just not in a place where he could do that anymore. So I'm going to continue on. We're, we've renamed it The Richard Roper Show, but it's still going to be where you found the Screen Time podcast. You can still get it everywhere, whether it's uh, Apple or Spotify or Amazon or any, any place where they, uh, where they have podcasts uh, that you can listen to and download and hopefully tell your friends about. Uh, in the coming weeks and months, I'll be doing the show solo, but I'm also going to be bringing in a lot of guests, maybe some guest hosts from time to time, and we'll just see how it evolves. But in the meantime, we're still going to be talking about anything you can see on a screen of any size, whether it's movies, TV, sports, streaming series, documentaries, you name it. And we've got some really interesting things to talk about today, I believe. We're going to talk a little bit about Elvis and Marilyn, the twin icons of American pop culture. And here we are in 2022 decades after Elvis's death in the 70s and even longer, 60 years actually since Marilyn Monroe's death in 1962. And yet we have two of the biggest movies of the year about Elvis and of course Marilyn Monroe. We're talking about the movie Elvis, Baz Luhrmann's movie from a few months ago, and now Blonde starring Anna de Armas in the uh, title role, uh, playing Marilyn Monroe, the title Blonde. We're going to talk a little bit about my favorite movies through the years about Elvis and then Marilyn. And then in part two of the podcast, I want to talk about all of the controversies surrounding the movie Don't Worry Darling, which is now finally in theaters. And we're going to talk about some other films that had all kinds of controversies and all kinds of discussions uh, before they ever came out and whether or not that really makes a difference or if it's just sort of, you know, a lot of press and these days, of course, social media craziness that really doesn't add up to anything because it's all about the final product. So. Spoiler alert, we're also going to talk about specific plot elements in Don't Worry, Darling, later in the podcast. So if you haven't seen it, just listen to the first half of this podcast before you see Don't Worry, Darling, if you're going to go see it. Hey, in the meantime, I want to remind you the Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show. Three, get ready now, go, cat, go, but don't you step on my boots, wear the shoes. Step on my face, slam my name all over the place. Doing a thing you wanna do, but I'm honey lay off my shoes and don't you 
That is the clip from the 1979 television movie titled Elvis, starring Kurt Russell in the title role. One of my favorite movies. There have been dozens of movies. More than 40 actors have played Elvis Presley throughout the years. I think Kurt Russell is one of the best. If you haven't seen this movie, you can find it various places online. Believe it or not, it's directed by John Carpenter, who's best known, of course, for horror films. But he did a great job with this. Here's the the genesis and the backstory of the Elvis movie directed by John Carpenter from 1979. Kurt Russell as Elvis Presley. Shelley Winters, the great legendary Shelley Winters, played Gladys Presley. Season Hubley, who's an actor who had quite a kind of a good run in the 70s and, and 80s. She plays Priscilla. Uh, Pat Hingle, and if you could look up uh, Pat Hingle or just Google him, you'll see his face and you've seen him in thousands of TV shows and movies. He played Colonel Tom Parker. And uh, the film also included supporting roles by uh, Joe Montaigne at the beginning of his his career, Ed Begley Jr., who was recently seen in Better Call Saul, and Ellen Travolta, who was John Travolta's sister. Terrific cast. This was actually uh, an ABC television movie. Now, back in the day, in the 70s, in addition to all those great series that you hear people talking about all the time, they love to show network, on the networks, they love to show big blockbuster movies. Now, you got to remember, back in the 70s, here's how it worked. A movie would play in a theater for usually months, if it was a hit, not just weeks. Then it was sometimes playing what they called second-run theaters, where for, you know, a buck, you could go to see a movie that maybe you couldn't afford to see when it was a first run. And then it would eventually make its way to network television. So that was a big deal because after it played in theaters, you couldn't get it anywhere else. Nobody really had VCRs yet or DVD players or any other way of digitally downloading. That certainly was a long way in the future in the late 1970s. So when Elvis aired on ABC in 1979, it was actually up against Gone with the Wind, believe it or not, on CBS and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was on NBC. Gone with the Wind was an event movie. It came out in 1939 and actually was one of the few theatrical films that every three or four years would get a theatrical re-release and or then when television really became big, a TV release. Because again, people didn't have that many opportunities to see it. You know, it was once every few years. And Elvis, it shocked the television world because here was this made-for-TV movie about Elvis Presley and it did better than both One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Gone with the Wind. Huge ratings, got a 273 and again, you got to remember, there's only three or four choices uh, for viewers at the time. Uh, it was such a big hit on TV that it actually got a theatrical release, especially in, in Europe, and became kind of an iconic pop culture moment. And Kurt Russell was great as, as Elvis. Again, if you get a chance to check it out, he actually, um, Kurt Russell dubbed uh, Elvis's voice in Forrest Gump. And if you ever saw the movie 3,000 Miles to Graceland, which I believe came out in, I want to say 2001, he plays an Elvis impersonator. So a lot of Elvis and Kurt Russell together. Another film that has kind of fallen off the radar, and this is partially because it co-stars Kevin Spacey, who has been canceled and for damn good reason. But, you know, when we talk about this, this is a completely other topic, of course, but when we talk about the work of actors and directors and filmmakers who in later years then were involved in various scandals of their own making, you know, the work is still there. Whether or not you want to watch it is up to you. I'm talking about a movie called Elvis and Nixon from 2016. It stars Michael Shannon, who seems like kind of an interesting choice to play Elvis, but, you know, because Michael Shannon, you think of him, he's such an intense method actor. You know, you always picture him doing like Eugene O'Neill on stage. But he's really good as Elvis, and Kevin Spacey plays Richard Nixon. Now, the setup here is 
Based on a real-life meeting that you may have heard about on the morning of December 21st, 1970, Elvis Presley actually met at the White House with Richard Nixon. Now, you got to remember, this is 1970, the height of the Vietnam War, protesters outside the White House every day, all of these changes in the culture, which Presley, you know, Elvis was an old-school guy. He was not part of the hippie culture or the anti-war movement. He was an old-school guy. And he actually wanted to become an undercover agent in the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. And the most popular photo to this day that has been purchased at the White House gift shop and is available online is that famous photo of Elvis and Nixon shaking hands. And the backstory is pretty amazing because Elvis just kind of showed up at the White House and Nixon had wanted nothing to do with him. Because I think Elvis was old fashioned. Nixon was super old fashioned. I mean, he was a guy that was listening probably to Benny Goodman if he was listening to any music in 1970, but they finally actually did meet. Now, what happened in that meeting is pure conjecture at this point. You know, there's some transcripts and and reportage about it, but this is pure fiction, you know, just kind of imagining what would have happened when Elvis met Nixon. Let's take a listen. You remember when you talked about finding an ally for Nixon? Someone from the outside. You'll never guess in a million years who just showed up at the Northwest Gate asking to see him. It's Elvis. Elvis Presley. You swear this isn't a joke. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you think we should meet with him? Yes, Mr. President. I would like to go undercover as a federal agent. I've been in 31 major motion pictures. That makes me an expert in costume and disguise. I could infiltrate the communists, and then I'd bust them all. Let's do this thing. Pretty amazing stuff. Great performances by, uh, by Michael Shannon and, yes, Kevin Spacey. And then, of course, uh, just a couple of months ago, we had... Boz Lerman's Elvis with Austin Butler in a star-making performance and Tom Hanks doing some sort of accent as Colonel Parker. Let's take a listen. But this ain't no nostalgia show. We're going to do something different. Comic book heroes all find their superpowers. Elvis found music. Uh, bring that bass up, Jerry. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. I believe I can be great. But I'm some people wanted to put me in jail. It's the whale's moving. Don't so much as wiggle a finger. I'm going to show you what the real Elvis is Now, I really dug Elvis, uh, and it did get good reviews. Uh, it has done very well also at the box office. Um, made about $152 million in the U.S. and Canada, and another $135 million worldwide, so it's Closing in about 285 to 290 million so far, it will gross over 300 million dollars, which is still a big number, especially for something that's a, a standalone film, uh, an exercise in nostalgia, not a, not a Marvel superhero movie. Uh, it has done really, really well. I thought it was fantastic. I loved how, you know, with Baz Luhrmann, you're always going to get this kind of fever dream over the top reimagining of things. I loved how it, it really paid homage to everybody knows that Elvis, you can call it cultural appropriation, you can call it stealing, you can say uh, paying tribute, but all of his music, all of that, his sounds came from the roots of blues and jazz and black music, and it really, really acknowledges that great performances, and as always with the Baz Luhrmann film, it has amazing visuals. Now we're going to talk a moment, uh, in a moment we're going to talk about uh, Blonde, which is the recently released movie about Marilyn Monroe, and why I think it didn't work nearly as well as Elvis. So we're going to talk a little bit now here about some of my favorite movies about Marilyn Monroe. It's interesting because there have been a lot of portrayals of Marilyn, but 
a lot of them have been in kind of second rate, semi cheesy TV movies or actors playing either Marilyn or a Marilyn like character as part of a larger television series. Then, of course, you know, Madonna paid tribute with Material Girl. The video for Material Girl was, uh, you know, a complete uh, tribute to Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but she was still Madonna there. She wasn't being Marilyn Monroe. She was just paying tribute to her. A couple of movies, though, that I think are worth noting. One that I, has definitely, it's been a long time now, uh, 20-some, almost 30 years since it came out, but something you should check out if you get a chance. It's a film called Norma Jean and Marilyn from 1996. One longed to be an actress, the other was obsessed with being a star. One pinned her hopes on the future, the other was tormented by her past. One was Marilyn Monroe, so was the other. You are going to be famous even if it kills me. If you want to go places, honey, you've got to bleach. You look like a whole new woman. She's got a nose like a baked potato. Marilyn Monroe. What do you think, Norma Jean? This was uh, an HBO movie, and you got to remember in the in the '90s, this is the HBO where it was home. You know, everybody still called it home box office. That's what HBO stood for, and they were still kind of finding their way. They would do comedy specials, and they had a few uh, a few TV shows, uh, but this was you know before the golden age of of Sopranos and everything else that followed 1996. But this is really interesting. It's kind of a two parter. It's based on a book called Norma Jean, My Secret Life with Marilyn Monroe by an actor uh, named Ted Jordan, who's played by uh, Josh Charles, a wonderful actor. This actor in real life claimed he had a long-time relationship with Marilyn Monroe. There, there are dozens of books by people who had intimate relationships with Marilyn. I don't know if they all did or not. It could be somebody that was her assistant, somebody that was her lover, somebody that was her friend, her stylist, whatever the case may be. So it's based on this. It, it is fiction. Interesting device, though, they did here. Uh, as, as we noticed, it's called Norma Jean in Maryland. Of course, uh, Norma Jean Baker was Maryland's original name. So Norma Jean is played by Norma Jean Doherty. Who, that was her then married name, her first marriage. Ashley Judd plays Norma Jean. And then Mira Sorvino plays Marilyn Monroe. I thought they actually should have switched the casting. I think Mira Sorvino would have better captured Norma Jean and Ashley Judd would have better captured the manufactured Marilyn Monroe, two terrific actresses. But it's a good, solid film, and it's interesting and definitely kind of a respectful treatment of, uh, you know, a very troubled life. Uh, the film is called Norma Jean in Marilyn. And then, uh, I can't believe this came out 11 years ago. I feel like I just saw it a couple of years ago. My Week with Marilyn, uh, 2011. And again, this is a, a film based on a book about a guy who spent a week as Marilyn's kind of assistant and escort during the making of the 1957 film, The Prince and the Showgirl. This story describes a miracle. Miss Monroe. Marilyn is not ready. A few days in my life when a dream came true. Are you frightened of me, Colin? No. Good, because I like you. Colin, is everything okay? Miss Monroe had some large packages she needed handled. <laughs> what is Marilyn doing with my third assistant? Something in my eye. I can't see anything. Be careful not to get in too deep, son. So this is directed by Simon Curtis. Uh, it stars Michelle Williams as Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Kenneth Branagh plays Sir Lawrence Olivier. He actually got nominated, I think, for a Best Supporting Actor for that. So the whole film was about uh, one week during the shooting of the 1957 film when 
Eddie Redmayne's character is escorting Marilyn around town and just kind of looking after her. So it's sort of filtered through his experiences. It's called My Week with Marilyn. So those are some Marilyn movies I think are terrific. Uh, I want to talk briefly about Blonde, and you can get my review at suntimes.com. You can get all my written reviews at the Suntimes website. I I, I kind of detested Blonde, to be honest with you. Uh, it, listen, it's clearly made with a lot of attention to detail. It's got all these different shifting visual patterns. I love Ana de Armas. She becomes Marilyn Monroe, even though her accent occasionally slips through. But it, the problem isn't her performance or all the other performances, whether it's Adrian Brody playing Arthur Miller, uh, Bobby Cannavale playing essentially Joe DiMaggio. The terrific cast here, but, but Blonde as a movie is like almost three hours long. It's like two hours and 40 minutes plus. And it is just one sadistic, depressing slog through every trauma that Marilyn Monroe experienced all the way back to when she was a child and her mother physically and verbally abused her. And then she gets into the studio system and she's physically abused. She's verbally harassed. She's mistreated. She becomes, and listen, a lot of this we know did happen, although this is a purely fictional work. It's actually based on a novel by Joyce Carol Oates. So this is a purely fictional interpretation of Marilyn's life. But the film just, it almost lingers on the mistreatment of Marilyn. On the hand. How'd you get your start? What start? In movies. By Continental. I guess I was discovered. I know you're supposed to get used to it. But I just can't. I've played Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. I can't face doing another scene with Marilyn Monroe. They have some scenes that they recreate her filming some like it hot, her filming gentlemen prefer blondes, her filming the seven year itch. But even those are kind of shown from the viewpoint of Marilyn having breakdowns, Marilyn being mistreated. If you believe the tone of this film, and we, again, we know that Marilyn suffered a lot before she died at the very young age of 36, but there's no joy whatsoever. We see almost, there's about four minutes in this film where she's not completely miserable, either completely, you know, off the charts intoxicated, getting hit, being abused, being mistreated, and it feels like they're exploiting Marilyn all over again, as opposed to the Elvis movie. And listen, Elvis died at 42. You know, heart attack, heart attack. We all know that he had something like 11 different prescription drugs in his system, and he, he died of, of a life of excess, you know, 40 years too young. And the Elvis movie doesn't shy away from that, but it also celebrates his artistry in these beautiful production numbers, and we see the joy he had for his music and the joy he brought others. And in Blonde, even when we see how fans react to Maryland, it's almost done like a horror film as she looks at their faces and sometimes they become distorted in the way especially men treat her. And we just don't, we don't see what made her a star because, you know, Marilyn's become this myth, this icon, this poster, this indie Warhol art, a, a candle, a pillow, a million different objects you can buy. She was a human being, but she was also for about 10 years, a truly great movie star. She gave movie star performances and that's why she became such an icon in the first place. And this film glosses over that just to remind us of how miserable she was. So 
my review of Blonde, as I said, is out there, but it's a one and a half star movie. Uh, it's it's an example of a prestige project that I think goes completely sideways. All right. Speaking of prestige projects, when we come back, we're going to talk about Don't Worry, Darling, which is finally in theaters. We're going to specifically talk about the litany of controversies surrounding this film and talk about other movies that had tons of controversy while they were being made or just before they were, were released and whether or not that actually matters in the long run. But first, this word from Portillo's. I think it is time to tell you about Portillo's. Okay. The greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're going to have anywhere on the planet Earth. Right down to the poppy seed bun. You're going to enjoy it so much because it's one of the million great ingredients that Portillo's uses. Whether it's the Italian beef or the sausage or the legendary chocolate cake. That's just all the beginning. Mm -hmm. The fries, the salads, the chicken telling you, if you have Portillo's... The burger. It, the burger's great. Yes. And, and you can get beer at the Portillo's, too, if you go nice. into the store. Nice. I'm just going to tell you right now. If you have a Portillo's near you and you've not eaten at a Portillo's before, let's say you live in California, Arizona, or Florida, where it's relatively new, you want to check it out. Take the Roe and Roper endorsement here. It's one of the finest experiences you're going to have ever in that kind of a food environment like fast casual you know it's not exactly fast food you can sit down it's nicer but it's super great portillos.com p-o-r-t-i-l-l-o-s.com ask your friends in chicago about it portillos.com all of you wives we men we ask a lot we ask for strength, food at home, a house clean, and discretion above all else. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Do you even know what the Vigi Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please, what's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! No. Jack, it's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. Now, I want to talk about uh, some of the controversy surrounding Olivia Wilde's film, Don't Worry, Darling, which has recently come out, and my review's out there on sometimes.com, and uh, spoiler alert, you know, it's set in the 50s, and then there's this big twist that turns out it's not really set in the 50s, and it's kind of a M. Night Shyamalan uh, from The Village meets The Truman Show and a lot of other movies, and there was all this controversy about Olivia Wilde and the film, and the casting. Uh, we heard that Harry Styles was cast, but then he couldn't do it, and then Shia LaBeouf came in, but then he exited. Olivia Wilde claimed that Shia LaBeouf's technique and his persona and his vibe on set were not positive, and he wasn't right for the film. Shia LaBeouf says that's not true. I left the movie because there wasn't enough rehearsal time. There's a lot of back and forth on that. Florence Pugh then seems to back away from the film, uh, reportedly upset that so much of the promotion was about the sex scenes, which quite frankly, there's a couple of intense sex scenes, but that she's right. That's not what this movie is about. And to see the trailer and other things promoting that so much, I could see why she would say, hey, this is not why we became actors. You guys are you know, trying to turn this into a one trick pony. It's a much more complex movie than that. 
then there's back and forth where Shia LaBeouf releases a video where it seems like Olivia Wilde is trying to talk him back into the film. Text messages between Florence Pugh and Shia LaBeouf. Then, you know, the romance between Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde and reports that Florence Pugh was upset about how they would kind of disappear on set for a while. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, uh, somebody from his camp, serves papers to Olivia Wilde in a very public setting, and he says he had no idea that was going to happen. Then there's more stuff about Florence Pugh and Shia LaBeouf and contradictory stories. And then there's the Venice Film Festival, and Florence shows up for only part of the promotion. And then we get this viral video of people claiming that Harry Styles is spitting on Chris Pine, which is fucking ridiculous, quite frankly. I mean, he didn't spit on him. And the, all of this stuff is happening for months. And you know, a lot of you know, cynical people say, well, they were just trying to get publicity. I don't, I don't think they planned most of this. I don't think, I, I don't know if anybody other than, I think Florence Pugh just, you know, she did what she did, uh, I think, in the name of promoting the film and protecting herself. Uh, but I don't know if anybody comes off too great here with this. Uh, the film is out now, which brings me to really what we're here to talk about. Because to be honest, with you, I don't give a shit about all these controversies surrounding the film. I review the film. Now, listen, I'm having my cake and, and eating it too because we talked about these controversies. But people get breathless analyzing all these things. And to me, it's all about what the final product is. And the final product to me, and don't worry, darling, is this great looking film, beautiful sets, Amazing cinematography, intriguing setup, because all these, it's kind of a Stepford Wives things, all these housewives on this cul-de-sac in this idyllic town spend their days at the spa or taking ballet lessons or cooking pot roast for their husbands, waiting for their husbands who all work for the government on some secret project, waiting for their husbands to come home and then everybody has martinis and, and parties and it seems like the perfect life, except for something's wrong. Something's very, very wrong and feels off. And Florence Pugh's character becomes more and more convinced that things are weird. She's getting odd dreams and flashbacks and hallucinations. And it turns out that this is all a ruse, that this is not really set in the 50s. It's set in the present day. And this is kind of a virtual world that the men have constructed to keep the women in their place. That's the big statement that's heavy-handed and overwrought and you can kind of see coming. So when I, when I see... Don't worry, darling, I don't care about everything that led up to it. I don't care that Shia LaBeouf was originally going to be in the role or not going to be in the role. I'm watching a movie starring Florence Pugh and Harry Styles and Chris Pine. These are the actors who are in the role. I'm watching a film that's directed by Olivia Wilde, who's very talented. I loved her first film, Booksmart. And I'm watching it fall apart because of screenplay problems. And that's what my review is about. And I will say this, too, when we talk about all these controversies, now that the movie is out, and it seems to be doing pretty well at the box office, and that's fine. I just want to remind folks that this is nothing new, that as long as they've been making movies, there have been controversies and misgivings and almost, in some cases, films shutting down, and then they come out and nobody cares about that shit. In fact, there, you know, there was recently uh, the offer, the, the multi-episode series that's all about the making of The Godfather, an entire limited series about all the ups and downs and back and forth that went on making The Godfather, which is universally acclaimed, and I happen to agree, is the greatest movie of all time. They hire a guy to direct the movie. None of them had high expectations for the movie. They paid very little for the rights, very little to Mario Puzo for the screenplay, which he wrote with Francis. Everybody in the company, the chairman, the president, all these people who never really intruded that much, had a better idea for how to put it together. And they objected to almost every 
major character who was cast. They didn't want Brando, they didn't want Pacino, and Francis had a fight for all of these people. But first of all, and I know a lot of people know this story, the book, The Godfather, was a huge bestseller, and yeah, there were offers to make it into a movie, but then there were all kinds of crazy ideas about who was gonna direct. Francis Ford Coppola at that point was not yet Francis Ford Coppola, and then who was going to star, Marlon Brando at the time, who ended up winning, of course, Best Actor, but at the time was considered washed up and not right for the role. Al Pacino was revered as a theater actor, but had only done a couple of movies, so nobody wanted him for Michael. James Caan was already doing pretty well, uh, but there was some talk about whether or not he would be right for, for Sonny. Robert Duvall, all the casting that seems perfect now was not necessarily locked in. In fact, there was talk even after production had started about replacing Al Pacino, that he wasn't right for Michael. The film was going over budget. There was a chance that Coppola himself was going to be replaced. And then the movie comes out and it's an all-time classic. And all of that is interesting and makes for miniseries and books, but it doesn't really affect the film. This happened again for Francis Ford Coppola when he made Apocalypse Now. Uh, there's a documentary about the making of Apocalypse Now. I, I really had a very close call and I, 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 I realized it's nothing that I can put in the words that if I wanted to live, it was my choice. If I wanted to die, that was my choice too. I remember the phone ringing and my secretary said, Marty's had a heart attack and uh, Francis doesn't want to admit it. One of the most troubled productions of all time, uh, Martin Sheen uh, has a heart attack on set. Francis Ford Coppola almost died and had a nervous breakdown. And it looked for a long time like they weren't going to finish it. And then even after it came out, it got kind of mixed reviews. And there's been 17 different edits of it. But when you see it now, all you see is one of the greatest movies ever made about war of all time. Going back to movies, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Marilyn Monroe. The making of Some Like It Hot was uh, reportedly just, you know, disastrous because Marilyn was in a bad uh, state. And the director was increasingly impatient with her. But when you watch it, it's probably her greatest role and her greatest performance in a, in a timeless comedy that is now considered one of the greatest films of all time. We came back to the studio and of course, uh, problems developed with Marilyn. She had ills, she had insecurities, many, many difficulties which uh, led to uh, multiple takes and uh, rather tried the patience of her fellow actors and most particularly uh, Billy Wilder. Uh, Ben-Hur was a film that was fraught with all kinds of production overruns. Lawrence of Arabia, The Bridge and the River Kwai, all the way back to The Wizard of Oz, there were all kinds of production problems. And when Star Wars was being filmed, this weird, you know, at the time considered this kind of weird cowboy soap opera from the guy that did American Graffiti. There was a lot of talk about, we're not going to even release this thing. Uh, Jaws, when they were making Jaws, you know, Steven Spielberg, who was like 27 years old at the time, and they couldn't get that damn mechanical shark, they named it Bruce, they couldn't get that shark to work, which is one of the reasons when you see the film, you don't see too much of the shark. You see, you know, footage of real life sharks, you know, from time to time. And then you see the mechanical shark at the end. And quite frankly, when you finally see the mechanical shark at the end of the movie, you can see it's a fake shark. It's not nearly as scary as it is in your imagination. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jaws is now considered an all-time classic because it's all about the sound, the great score, 
the feeling of fear and then those sudden uh, movements and not actually seeing the shark. That's a much maligned shark, and I'm kind of responsible for creating the, a lot of the bad-mouthing about the shark because the shark was frustrating. It, it didn't really work all the time. It didn't work hardly at all. I remember in particular being on, a, uh, on our barge watching the first shark test at which time the shark simply sank to the bottom of Nantucket Sound, and we felt that our careers in motion pictures had gone with it. So, you know, the thing that all these films have in common is the don't worry darling syndrome is hardly new. All these great films had all kinds of huge problems. Ask James Cameron someday about Titanic. There were so many stories about the making of Titanic where, you know, he built this ship that was like three quarters the size of the real Titanic in this giant floating tank. And they were having all kinds of problems with that. They kept threatening to shut down the production on the thing because it was going so far overboard and that it becomes arguably the most successful film commercially of all time and wins all those Academy Awards. So Don't Worry Darling is in theaters. I recommend not seeing it because of the problems I had with the story itself and the execution of the film. The controversies make for gossip and interesting reading, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's all about the finished product. That's going to finish us for today. This is the Richard Roper Show. I am Richard Roper. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk soon.